0: Good morning, welcome to Keystone, how are you guys doing this morning? Ooh, that's not good, that's not nice. Hello, can you hear me? Can't. There we are. We're going to try our best. I can't guarantee this is going to sound any better. Because it's just my voice anyways. Hey, welcome to Keystone. So glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Um, wow, this is going to be this is terrible. This always happens. This always happens. Alright, uh, so my name is Ryan. I'm so glad you guys are here with us this uh, morning. Are you going to replace it for me? Thank you so much. You even ran here with like a ripped hamstring or whatever it was that happened to you. One, two, woo! that's good, that good, that good, that good, that good. <laughs> We're too serious here at Keystone. All right, to start over, welcome, happy Sunday to you. My name is Ryan, I'm so glad you guys are here with us. We're wrapping up a series called The New You, and I'm really excited about this series because I, I really think what it's centered around is the idea of identity and who we are. But before I get there, do you guys like personality tests? At all? Oh no, this is going to keep happening. Okay, thank you. How about, can you hear me now? Check one. Perfect. If it keeps making noise, I'm just going to yell at you. (laughs) All right, personality tests. Let's talk about them. You're either the type of personality that can handle when your microphone breaks or have a nervous breakdown in between. We're going to see which one I am. So I really enjoy personality tests myself. I really enjoy them, and I like the silly ones and the serious ones. And I know there's a couple of people that really like them and some that don't, but this is probably the favorite one I came across, is which opinionated pastry matches your personality. Are you more of an assertive croissant or a confident eclair? And I'm proud to tell you I was the pragmatic bear claw. I was hoping to go for like the zesty cinnamon roll or something like that, but we'll settle with bear claw. But I like personality tests because I think these, these reveal something about ourselves. And even when I was at camp, I kind of encountered them for the first time because I took the Greg Smalley personality test. Some of you guys, it was kind of big in the 90s and early 2000s. And I remember taking it at camp, and I remember being super stressed. I remember filling it out and being like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. Is it going to match who I am? What are people going to think about me? And the Greg Smalley personality test, it's even, like, just as simple as the pastry one because you get put into one of four categories. You're either, like, the dominant lion, you're the the organized beaver, the fun-loving otter, or even the loyal and patient golden retriever. And you kind of fill out this test. You get put in a category— and you kind of discover a little bit more about yourself and about other people. And I really enjoy taking that. And I think there's one more test that is pretty cool. It's called the Enneagram. Has anyone heard of this? Just give like a woo. If not, then you're discovering something. Okay, so we have some people here. And the Enneagram's cool. It's a little bit more complex, puts you into one of nine different categories. And I like the Enneagram because it has the ability to flex in terms of your personality. So you're not just a number nine or a number seven. But under stressful circumstances or positive circumstances, whether internally or externally, it moves with your personality. And I think a big reason we like personality tests is honestly at the end of the day, we love to learn about ourselves. Like we love to learn about ourselves and we like new language to learn about ourselves and to put ourselves in new categories. But I think it's interesting because we really like to lean into the good things of our personality and lean away from maybe the hard truths about us. But if there's one thing I've learned in ministry is that self-discovery is as much a process of beauty as it is brokenness. Self-discovery is as much a process of beauty as it is brokenness. Again, we like to look at the good of who we are, and sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to look at the ugly truths about ourselves. And that's kind of been the series, the new you, the identity that we're looking at. And I've sensed a tension as Brady has talked the last couple of weeks. I think the tension goes like this. We have a vision of who we want to be, but we feel like we're falling short. We have a vision of who we want to be, but we feel like we are falling short right? That, that, that if we think about who am I in family circumstances or at school or at work, we, like, we picture who we could be. But then when we enter those circumstances in real life, we're like, man, I'm not quite everything that I want to be. And as Christ followers, I think we even feel this in a new tension because we're told in Jesus that we're made new, that we're given a new life, but we still have to grapple with the reality of sin, right? This word sin, too, is, I think, this really big, scary word. A lot of us just feel negative feelings about it, or even some of us have that gut-wrenching, like, oh no, I'm in church, and here's the word. Like, here's the word, sin. And it feels heavy, and it feels, feels like, ah, oh, I don't want to talk about that today. But I want to frame it in some new context, and then give us some new hope. Because the original meaning of the word Sin actually comes from this Greek archery term, which is hamartia, and I have the actual, look at that, wow, you're a Greek scholar. And it means to miss the mark. It's a pretty simple word when you think of it. So in archery, they aim at the target, and if they miss, they go, oh man, you sinned, right? Which sounds funny to us today, but that's just what it was. You, you missed the mark. You missed The target. So, for followers of Jesus, if this is a faith that you're exploring or a faith that you say that you live out in your life, for us, we're aiming at the target of the life of Christ. We're aiming at the target of Christ's love. That's the standard, that's the target. And it's going to be difficult. And often we're going to miss the mark, we're going to sin. Because in the example of King Jesus, we see sacrificial love. We see abounding grace. We see incredible generosity, exceptional bravery. We see so many incredible things. And, and if we really look at that, we were like, I want to live into those. But I feel like I'm missing the mark. And fundamentally, I think all people, Christian or not, when we look at the stories of Jesus and we understand who Jesus is, I, I would say most people would say that's a good life. That's a good life. But the questions that we're then bombarded with is: it, is it actually possible to live that good? Is it actually possible to avoid missing the mark, avoid sinning, and living into this more fulfilling picture? And it's a question that we're not just asking here on Labor Day of 2022. But these are the original questions the very first churches were asking. As they started to follow the life of Jesus and they didn't have the texts that we do, they're asking these questions, how do I avoid sin and follow Jesus? So this prolific pastor, his name's Paul, he starts writing these letters and they're really beautiful and they're filled with great theology but great practical applications. And he writes them to all of these different church startups and we're going to look at a couple of them this morning because they're asking those same questions questions. And, and I think Paul, on one hand, when it comes to this tension between who we want to be and who we're actually living into, he puts it so perfectly in the letter to the Ephesians. So this is Ephesians 4, through 24. He says this, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old this person you no longer want to be, and move into the new. To make it super simple, it's just like taking off clothes. Don't worry, I'm not stripping too much, but I was worried about it. But like, it's like taking off an old pair of clothes and putting on a new pair of clothes, right? I know it's a simple, cheesy demonstration, but I think it proves a point. Because we see here, here's the old. Here's the old clothes. This is who I used to be. This is how I used to view myself. This is how other people used to view me, wearing this, being this type of person. And now I am new. I see myself in a new way, and ideally other people will see myself in a new way. Putting off the old, putting on the new. It's, it's really conceptually simple. Like I think we all pick up this idea from Jesus, but the reality of it is so much harder. And that's where we've been spinning a lot. Because in this other letter, through the the letter to the Romans, Paul puts it perfectly clear for himself and for all of us. This is where we've been studying a lot. This is in uh, Romans chapter 7. And I love what he says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate I do. Like, we can feel that in our minds, right? We can feel that tension. I love that he puts it in that, like, first-person perspective. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Right? I think we feel that tension. What If there's, like, a decision in front of us and we're thinking, man, like, I shouldn't do that. But I want, like, we feel that tension at times. And will we, choose to, will we choose to live into that or will we not? That tension exists in us, even though this has happened. If you've chosen to follow Christ, you have put off the old. You say, sin no longer rules my life. I'm wearing something new. I'm living a new life. But that tension still exists. And I think, I think it's not just about not sinning. And that's what I like what, about what Paul says here. It's not just about, like, stop doing bad things, but it's also how can I live better? How can I live into better things as well? I want to follow Jesus, not only in, in, in not entering into the mire of sin or missing the mark, but I want to live this rich and fulfilling life. But if we look at our day-to-day habits, it's, we see the tension. Why do the sarcastic comments come out of our mouths so easily, right? Even though I've been made new and I was thinking, about I was literally in the shower this morning and I was going over that painful process. I said something a couple weeks ago and I was like, why did I say that? That was so stupid. Like I know it was dumb and everyone else in the room knew it was dumb. Why did I say that, right? I'm supposed to be made new. Or why does the lie come so much easier than the simple truth? Or why, are we so, why is it so easy to pick up our cell phones as this portal of lust or comparison or just wasting our time away? Why do all of these behaviors come so easily if we know who we should be? It's because we need to dig deeper than just behaviors. Because behavior is the symptom of our identity, what flows out of us is simply a picture of what is inside of us. We have to understand who we fundamentally are if we want to leave behind sin and move into a fresh new life. One of the great um, kind of like fathers of Christianity with great writings is St. Augustine, and I love the way he writes this incredible prayer. It goes like this. How do we draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know The. How do we draw close to God when we are far from our own self? So I think a lot of us, we want to know God better, but we might recognize we don't actually know who we are or who we want to be. God, may I know myself that I may know thee, that I may know you. This is how it applies to us. Following Christ is just as much about discovering yourself As it is about discovering Christ. I feel like the more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to know who we truly are. That's what happens when we step into this. It's not just a habit on Sunday, it's not just a devotional in the morning, it's transforming us. And we are loved, we're pursued, we're made clean, we're chosen. But there's also this reality that we have to reconcile with sin, or how I want to put it this morning, the shadow side of our identity. Because I think sin at times, though it is, can be a noun, it can be a verb, I want to put it in the framework of our identity, the shadow side of our identity. Because the shadow side of our identity is often who we are under stress. The shadow side of our identity is revealed during times of stress. Think back to your life, the times where you're most overworked, most isolated, most lonely, the most insecure. Often the way we operated during those times, we would say, that wasn't who I truly was. But that part of our identity still exists. See, I believe the shadow side of our identity is the parts of ourselves that we really have to bring to the light. We really have to be honest with. That's what we're addressing in the series. To become the new you, we have to look at the old you and who we used to be. And what was interesting about this, it kind of took me to a cool little aside here. Because what I recognize is that sin, or, or when we address the shadow size side of ourself, we, we actually all become united. There's this reality that we're all in a weird way, united under sin. And Brady talked last week that we're kind of united under the sinful actions of the first human, Adam, whose name, interestingly enough, means humanity. So Adam was the first human in the Christian tradition, and he sinned. And from that point forward, sin, missing the mark, the shadow side of identity, entered into the story and has haunted us ever since. And what's really incredible about sin is that it does humble us. And I think from that place of humility, we can actually find real community. Because have you guys ever noticed that the only place we ever talk about sin is church? Right? Like you don't go over to your friend's house to watch the football game and you eat too much of his dip and he's like, you sinner, you. And if he does, that'd just be weird. Right? right. Like the only place we talk about sin seems to be church. The only place you're called a sinner seems to be church. And a lot of the time, the language is so often self-righteous and hurtful. But if we can actually approach sin in an honest and real way within ourselves and then to other people, we actually will find authentic community. We strive here at Keystone to be honest with all the things that go on in our lives, in my life personally, and hopefully the lives of people that call this home. We're honest with the things that weigh on us. And when we're honest with not only the ways that we have been hurt, but the things that we've done that have hurt other people, we start to create real community. We start to allow light to shine on the shadow side of our identity, right? Because we're being honest and real and vulnerable. And it's hard to admit to the ugly things that we've done, the stupid things we've done, the things that have hurt other people. But when we admit that, not only to ourselves, but even to God, and that's like the first step in our faith is that when we admit, God, I have sinned. And when I say that, I mean, I've missed the mark. There's part of me that just doesn't seem to, to, to be able to align with you. When we do that with humility, God says, I forgive you every single time. But then when we also bring that to a community and we hear people say, you're forgiven, you're not that person, we know who you really are and can be, there's so much healing there. And my encouragement is in your communities, whether Christian or not, you offer that because that will be such a gift and such a light to the world. So the good news, the good news is all of that, is that we are forgiven and that we are redeemed. That, that, and that, that one unfair act of sin, so we, if we look at Adam, that unfair act of sin, which seems to have cursed all of us, but let's be honest, we all have chosen sin, so we're not victims here. But the unfair sin that seems to reign in our life has been conquered by an unfair act of grace through Christ's death. I love how Pastor Eugene Peterson translates Paul's words here in Romans. He says this, With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, that fateful dilemma of sin's influence is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us No longer have to live under the continuous low lying black cloud. And stay there, real quick, because I love that low lying black cloud. Because I'll be honest, so much of my summer, I have felt the low lying black cloud. I have felt the weight of sin. I have felt the weight of my own insecurities, right? I think there's a lot of us, we'd call it anxiety, we'd call it depression, maybe sin, whatever it might be. And I know those are all different definitions that swirl around, but like, I think a lot of us feel the low-lying black cloud. And when we can be honest about that, we're going to be able to find freedom because he continues on. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. I love this line. Freeing you, freeing you. You from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. I think there's a lot of people that I love every week coming to church and hearing, You are free and there is hope. So if you just need to hear that this morning, those words are for you. You are free and there is hope because what God, what Christ has done for you, what God says about you is you are free. You do not have to live under sin anymore. You do not have to live by the law of the old identity, the shadow side of identity. You have something brand new. You are free. And from this point, as has always been the case, you have a choice. Every day, every action, you have a choice whether to stay mired in the old identity, to stay stuck in the old character and who we used to be, or to stay in who Christ says we are and can be. This freedom we've been given, and, and freedom's a weird word for us because I don't think we recognize that sin has mastery over us a lot of the time, but the freedom we've been given, this new choice between Christ in the old way of life, that freedom expands and it shrinks with every decision you make. Because what's beautiful, Christ says his spirit is in us, and the choices we make, we're going to be empowered and we're going to know the right choices. But we're going to be able to choose if we want to follow our master Christ or our master sin. It's rare or impossible that it's Neither or. Because all of our choices are going to define us. Right? And I love that Christ can be our North Star. And I think a lot of people, this is the tension I feel from a lot of people, is that I think they feel living after Jesus is kind of limiting. That it's like a limited life. And and these are some of the tensions, and these could be talks into themselves. So don't get too lost here. But like some of the things that I encounter when people think about Christianity, especially for young people, is this like, well, if I'm a Christian, I can't have sex with whoever I want, right? Like, I I don't have sexual freedom, but what Christ promises us in the depiction of marriage is what he says is true freedom. Or, um, I like this one, like, I can't listen to whatever music I want. I like Kendrick Lamar too much. And that's a whole conversation. The music conversation, like, ruled, like, the culture for so long in Christianity. But, like, we, we feel like it's so limiting. Or even, like, like, there's too much pressure from Christianity to give my money away. And I know this is a toxic thing because the church is always asking for money. But really, the heart of Christ is that we're giving ourselves away generously. Time, talent, and money. And, and you don't have to give. This isn't a thing about giving money to the church. But we're supposed to give ourselves away. That seems so limiting. I want to spend my money on what? I want for me, rather than seeing the needs of the world at large. And again, each one of those can be a topic unto itself. But what we have to recognize is that Jesus doesn't want to make us into some dumb, like, Christian cultural cliche, right? He wants to make us into our true selves. Because again, as we discover who Jesus is, we discover who we really are and who we really can be. It's that good life. I have a, it's a little bit of a longer passage, but I can't help but get caught up in Paul's excitement in Romans as he continues on this conversation. Um, So I'm just going to read it through because often the Bible's language is far better than mine. Um, And I am going to use Eugene's Peterson because he captures Paul's excitement so much. It'll be on the screens, um, so follow along with me. And I, I just love this. It stands to reason, doesn't it, That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive in himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and again, he's talking about that decision to follow Christ with our life, that decision to let God see all of who we are. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are, del- you are delivered from the dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see, we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us. And this is so great. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. This resurrection life you receive from God is not timid. It's not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike what's next, Papa. God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms, check this out, who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. I just love that. Like, you could read Romans 8, 10, 16, and you'd get everything that this teaching needs to do for you. But as we pull this all together, um, I want to give you... A framework to take this week. I want, to, I want to give you something to take with you. And it's just a question, but I like putting it in the, the, the idea of like a framework that you can take. So kind of like glasses to see the world with. Because I think this question has the power to let you live into that Christ-centered identity. And the question goes like this. Will this action form me into the type of person I want to be? And you could take this and give this to like somebody who's not a Jesus follower. This is good for everybody because it puts us, it puts our lives in the framework of who we want to be, what our identity is. Will this action form me into the type of person I want to be? Now, a lot of people then have to decide the type of person they want to be, but if you are a Christ follower, we elevate the standard and we change the question. It goes like this, will this action form me into someone who looks like Jesus? And, and this, is, this is for every action. And I like this question because it points us to the north star that is Christ. And I love Christ as a north star because that means we may misstep as we keep our trajectory towards him. We might, we might fall out of line, but we're always going to come back to that north star. See, what's important about this framework is again, it's not just about rejecting pornography. It's just not about rejecting that next bottle or that next fix. It's not just about um, rejecting using our cell phone as a, a like, black hole of nothingness. It's a framework for every single action in our life. This is what I mean. So I read this brilliant book called Atomic Habits. It's not a Christian book, but if you want to hack your like, human habitual nature. You've got to read this book. It's brilliant. But I like, I like what the author writes in this simple s- sentence. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. So first, we have to have a clear idea of who we want to become. For me, and hopefully for you, Jesus. Jesus. So then every action I'm taking in the day-to-day, when I leave church today, when I wake up on Monday morning, every action I take, is it going to be a vote for who I am in Christ or something else? I mean, you you can apply it to, to everything you eat. You can apply it to everything you say. You can apply it to the ways that you spend money. Is this action forming me into someone who looks like Jesus. Again, Jesus, it's the high target. It's a high target to shoot for. But for me, it's the only one that's worthwhile of shooting for. I've tried to be a lot of different people, and they've all fallen short. But the target of Christ will always remain firm in my life. Is this action, is my life forming me into someone who looks like Jesus? Now, let's be honest, rolling up the sleeves. Let's be honest here. It's great to have the talk. And going back to what Paul said about putting on the old self, uh, putting on the new self and taking off the old, like it's simple. This seems so simple. But in the day-to-day, it gets really hard and there's going to be a reality where we're going to miss the mark, meaning we're going to, in the Christian context, sin. But we have to remember there are no outliers. Every action is a vote. There's no outliers. Because sin or the shadow side of identity is going to whisper to you, it's just one time. It's just one time. You deserve this. It'll give you every possible reason why choosing that action that won't form you into, the cri- into Christ is the right action. But there are no outliers. But there's grace still. And this is the tension we're living into. But I wanted to give you some really good hope at the end of this series. Um, And this hope is still in Paul's letter to the Romans. Again, a fantastic letter. So here's the hope I want to give you, and then we'll drive it all home. So this is what Paul says. For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that's good news there. So again, though we're aiming for the high target, we might misstep, we might miss, nothing will separate us from God. No sin, no choice, no repetition, no habit will separate you from God. But he has something so much better for each one of us. He has something so much better than living enslaved to sin. Because again, it might be just one choice. It might be just one action, But one action sometimes is followed up with the second and the third and we find ourselves spinning in the same cycles. Sin will offer what feels good, looks good. It will offer you happiness for a moment. But what slowly happens over time is you become the old self and you put off what should be the new self. What happens over time is a loss of freedom, actually. Sin rules your life. But if we can notice, we can notice when those things start to happen in our life and we go, is this actually forming me into who I want to be? And for us Christians, is this forming me into who Christ says I am? We can start to answer that question and find help and seek things out in our lives. Again, that framework for you. Is this action forming me into someone who is like Christ? Because that will not just push you away from sin, but it will move you towards the actions where you'll say, yes, this action is forming me into Christ. Doing these things, volunteering in this way, being generous in this way is forming me into Christ. Jesus will offer you a new identity every day. If you need it, he'll give you a new identity every day. He will say, you are loved, you are chosen. I'm giving you purpose and grace. God will be your father and you will be his child. Nothing can separate or change that. It's in Christ we can know who we are and what our purposes are. But what you have in front of you as you move into today and this next week and the rest of your lifetime is choice. It's the freedom to choose. And my prayer for you is that the choices you make are informed out of a well-meaning, centered identity in Christ. So before we pray, uh, we're going to have some friends under the screen here that would love to talk to anyone that has anything going on in their lives. Um, if anything in the teaching resonated or you're just struggling in some way, and it doesn't even have to be struggle. Like, it could just be like a test or an anxiety or anything. Um, we believe prayer and community is important, so we'll have some friends under the screen over here just to talk and just to, to catch up and um, pray with you. So uh, if you need that, that will be available. Otherwise, I would love for you to stand with me and we'll pray together. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. It is a gift to be here. God, I wish my eyes were opened more often to the gift of every single day. God, this series is really, I think, the heart and the tension of so much of Christianity trying to follow you, yet living in the gap where we fall short sometimes, we misstep, we miss the mark. God, we're so thankful for your abundant grace that you continue to give us when we miss the mark, but I pray we can all have a clear picture of you in our lives. And God, there, there are some sins that are habitual, but there are some sins that are darker and heavier and deeper. And if we have friends here or that are listening to this now or later on the podcast, God, I just pray that you can deliver great hope, whether that's through people or inspiration or whatever it is to those that seem so stuck in the mire of sin and that feel so lost. They're so loved. God, I'm thankful that you give us new choice and new life and, and freedom and hope each day. That's the beauty. I want to center my life on that and I want to center my life on Jesus. I thank you for the people here. I pray for open hearts to what you're going to do uh, through this next week. May we not just reject the choices that are bad for us, but may we choose actions this week that are going to be difficult, maybe in a simple way, but difficult, but will showcase your love and your light. You are very good, God. You are very good. We thank you for Jesus who makes all of this possible today. And it's in his name we pray and everybody said Amen. Thank you guys for being here. I hope you have a fantastic Labor Day. We'll see you next week for our fall launch.